what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have a very, very special guest, content creator, producer, writer. He's had a hand in a lot of big-time entertainment projects, Dorian Graham. Appreciate you coming on The Sane Show, man. I'm super excited. I've been hyping up a lot of people about this. They don't know what's coming to them with this one they really don't <laughs> well, i appreciate you having me and the fact that that people think i'm a bigger deal than what i what i don't think because there's, there's no <laughs> i get it you know what i'm saying but yeah i'm i'm here for the people always cool cool <laughs> oh man i can already tell even based on the conversation we were having before the show it's gonna be a good recording really quick before i introduce the topics i want to take a moment to shout out all our listeners in all 50 plus countries Thank you guys for continuing to listen, like, share, subscribe, rate, leave comments, all that kind of fun stuff for the same show. I really appreciate it. You guys have really been a big part of this journey and helping get the same show to the level that is on today. And if you're listening and you don't already follow the same show, be sure to check us out and follow us on IG and Twitter, the same underscore show. That's same S A N E underscore show again s-a-n-e underscore show the sane underscore show on instagram and twitter and then you can find us on facebook the sane show again on facebook that's the sane show all right really quick we're going to talk about the importance of sketch comedy shows and then we're also going to talk about running an entertainment company Following that, we're going to have our interview with Dorian so the listeners can get to learn more about you, some of the things that you've done during the course of your career, and then some of the projects that you got your hands in now. So let's go ahead and kick things off with the first topic, all right? Okay. And the importance of sketch comedy. So we were having a conversation about this before the show, and one of the things I, I look at, and like I mentioned prior to the recording is how important of a role that sketch comedy plays sketch comedy show when i was thinking about this topic shows like snl wild and out mad tv even heck chappelle show right nickelodeons all that you know keenan thompson and uh kale came out of that a lot of comedians more so or really comedians have benefited from sketch comedy shows and That's what makes them so important, right? Because there's not, when you think about the the big picture, right, as far as entertainment, there's not, at least in my eyes and from what I've seen, there aren't too many platforms out here for comedians. And, right. and even when we talk about the one of the biggest platforms that there are for comedians, you know, I think of Comedy Central, right? And that's pretty much the biggest. And then like, you have all the plethora of networks and there's probably other networks out there, but smaller, but they don't get as much notoriety. So from your experience, what are, what are your thoughts on that as far as like the importance of these kind of shows that spotlight comedians, uh, up and coming so, comedians more so? So so let's say like this, comedy is very therapeutic um, for the comedian and for the fans watching. Like laughing is one of the, the, the best stress relievers you could have like being able to laugh at whether it's yourself or being familiar with the story that someone says because you've watched it happen to somebody you know or it's close to you that's how comedy works that's why the black comics we as as a culture 
when we go out and we see them, we're so engulfed and so laughing hard and falling out because it's something that we've taken part in. Like we know somebody one or two people away that actually lived or did what that person said. And we thought right. that joint was crazy when it happened. Mm-hmm. And then you got to think that the way comedy has progressed and, and realistically social media has now given another, another outlet for comedians and comics to, to show the world who they are. And the funny thing is Nick Cannon was probably one of the first people to kind of dive into the social media world to start finding comics from, from social media, whether it was rap battles, whether it was YouTube, whether it was Vine, Instagram, he would find little people that he would come have audition and, you know, they would, they would do well. And, you know, once he put his, his sauce on it and start teaching them and they start to learn television, they just became stars like DC Young Fly is, is a prime example who now yeah. went from social media to like a star. Like right. DC Young Fly is everywhere. He gets on a different pilots, different movies. You know, he has his own thing that he does with Carlos Miller and Tico Bean called 85 South that they do on YouTube that it's just them being them, like talking about their lives, what they've encountered. And, and that's what comedy is all about, being able to just talk about your life. Not, it, it's about the jokers about yourself. It's not necessarily right. talking about somebody and who they are and bad-mouthing them. It's about you and your life. There's nothing better than being able to laugh at yourself. Very true. That is very true. You bring up a really great point because that's why I love, and I'll be honest, a lot of people give Nick Cannon a hard time for various reasons, but for what he does and the impact that he has that I don't think we give him enough credit for sometimes as a society and as a culture is how he is impacting comedy with his show. Right. And right. like you said, tapping into social media, because when you, when you mentioned, and I, and I cannot believe when I was planning this, that slipped my, that part as far as, like him really diving in because I'm thinking about how people are using the, the social platforms mm-hmm. to do their own sketch comedy, right? Because they're funny. Right. But Nick being smart enough to say, this guy is talented. Let me give him a shot, right? Because so many names came to mind. Like you said, DC Youngfly, King Batch, Ha Ha Davis, Rennie. Right. And to see what has happened to a lot of those people after benefiting from Nick Cannon's platform or wilding out, getting endorsements, getting more shows, tours, and all, because people people know them now, right? People that weren't in that, within that demographic that, that they already have following them now know about them. And that's the that's the beautiful thing about it because I, I find joy looking at some of these comedians and like, man, this guy's talented, man. I wish somebody give him a shot and then boom, mm-hmm. you know, I see them posting, I'm about to be all wild and out. It's like, yo, that's what I'm talking about. That brings me to my next point, though. Again, like we were talking about earlier, as far as when it comes to comedy in the black community, there was a void now that we don't have comic view, right? Which gave us comedians like, you know, Bruce Bruce and Lavelle Crawford and then Deaf Comedy Jam that gave us, man, (laughs) Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, D.L. Healy, Norman. Chris Tucker, right, right, Martin Lawrence, like the list goes on for days, and 
So it, that's one of that's one of the things you know because we hear the question all the time about like the next who's going to lead the next generation of comedians, right? Because you know I think of I almost think of like Nick Cannon as like Russell Simmons today, right? Right. Because right. <laughs> like it's it's crazy because he's he's going because he's tapping into a lot of these really good comedians out here and get you know putting them on a the platform, giving them the help, getting them in the spotlight, and boom, they go and take off. It, it's, it's crazy that I'm thinking about it now because what he did is pretty much the Wild and Out platform kind of took the place of Def Comedy Jam, but right. in a different way. You know, it's a, it's its own thing. It's not a everything. If you try to replicate the formula, it's not going. It may not work like it did the first time. So right. he did his thing, and like, that's the that's the beautiful thing about it. And that's what it's a new breath, right? You're still breathing life into sketch comedy one and that's the unique thing about the wow now platform is it's a nice mix right because you know i was thinking about it too on the spectrum when we talk about really sketch comedy and stand-up it's not snl right right but it's not pure stand-up either and with that formula that it has it's right it's like right there in the middle right (laughs) because it's it's in in its own it's Wild Out is definitely in a lane of, of its own. And the crazy thing, another thing people don't really grasp, and even the cast don't really grasp it until later on, is mm-hmm. that when they come in and do auditions and they make the show, he's actually now being able to give them new tools to help sharpen their comedy, whether it's learning how to rhyme on, on songs, whether it's being able to get your wit and, and your timing together. Like, he's now teaching them things without them really knowing he's teaching it to them. Those games that they play are games that they've never played before. So mm-hmm. they got to learn tough. They got to learn where to stand. They got to learn when to hit their notes. They got to learn how to rhyme on, on, on a beat and get in and get out, get your joke quickly. Like, timing. They got to learn all these things that wilding out allows them to learn and allows them to become bigger people. Like, so many... So many people, man, have benefited off of Wild and Out. And if Nick would have done it the, the greedy way and made people sign deals where he now manages them, be out the roof. But he wasn't about that. He was just about creating a platform for him and his friends to do comedy because they weren't on TV. That's definitely a cultural phenomenon. It really is. Right. And that, man, like I said, it's just crazy. And that's, that's what I love about this show. Because, you know, I tell people, that's why I call about show about nothing and everything, right? Because, you know, I, I come into it and I, I think about it one way. And that's why I love having the kind of people I have on because it makes me think, right? Because now, I'm, as you were talking about how that platform is helping comedians, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I can do a whole segment and break down wild and out, right? Because just like you say, the cast doesn't really think about it like that. The viewers like myself. We ain't really thinking about it like that, right? But we see the result of it. We think about it subconsciously. Because right. when, you, when you explain it, and we be, people will be, and I'm sure people, when they listen to this, they'll be like, oh, you know what? That's right. That makes sense. I right, see why right. they go on there and they come out and they on another level. You know, right. and just putting, like, man, yo, that's genius. <laughs> that is yeah, genius, it, for it, real. It, it's amazing. Like, it's just... And he, he's been able to do something that 
as much as comedy, Def Comedy Jam and all those shows allowed comics to do their things, Wild and Out gave comics a different type of lessons to learn, getting their timing and getting their wit, being sharp, being on point, doing things off the top of the head. All that actually sharpens, sharpens the sword. It's, it's still sharpening steel. All right, now we're back. I had a lot of fun with that previous segment. But now we're going to go into our next topic, running an entertainment company. This one was a lot of fun for me. Being a podcaster and building up my platform is going outside of podcasting. And just seeing, and even just running, doing a podcast itself, right? Like marketing the show, booking the guests, writing the content. And then making sure logistically that, okay, when the day of the interview comes, like they know, you know, the guest knows what needs to be done, make sure I can record. And you know, it's, a, it's a process, right? And right. I can only imagine what it's like, because I, I was having a conversation with somebody a few days ago, actually, and kind of talking about what Jay-Z did, right? How, yeah, he started as an artist. Then went to managing labels, start his own label, and then he managing artists, producing, and now he's in the sports and just rock nation, just taking and spreading his tentacles and and touching a lot of different things within the entertainment. But when I think about people, consumers of the content and how they see it, they don't know (laughs) what really goes into running a company and how complex. It actually is because when I sat down and I looked at this topic and I was collecting my thoughts, I'm like, this is just as complicated, if not more complicated than running a regular business. Because like you and I were talking about, there's no formula. There's a lot more risk involved and there's a lot more pressure because we, you know, when you put out something good, like there, that expectation is there instantly. And it's unique and is speaking from personal experience as a podcaster one of the things i this was back in december and i was talking to somebody about my show right because i'm sitting here and i'm talking mm-hmm. to them about taking it to the next level and stuff and right. i didn't realize how much i was doing until i actually because yeah you know the guest list got bigger and the content was getting better and right. You know, I was getting I was getting better as a host, right? Until I really sat down and like really looked at it, I'm like, man, I'm doing a lot. (laughs) I don't even know it. You know what I mean? Because it's like the beautiful thing about it's like you you do it. You you're not thinking. You're not doing it for 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 the money. You're not not, so you're not stressing over all that. But you're just trying to get better because this is what you love to do. So I was like, man. Like, yo, I'm bad. I'm not gonna lie, man. Yo, Dory, I was like, yo, I'm bad, yo. Yeah. Like, I'm doing things right. <laughs> As you should. If you yeah. don't do stuff, nobody will. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, what, you, you go ahead, talk to me, man. Tell, tell me something. Because I know you, you doing, do, you doing the things that you do and the things you've done. I know you, I know you got something to add. So, here goes the thing about. So production company, uh, I, I, let's just go to television or even movies. And this is okay. why I talk to kids. I, I make sure that they understand. They're the people that are on camera. 
that, you know, the stars or whatever. But understand the credits. Every name that you see on the credits is a job. You understand me? So everybody can't be the on-star, on-screen person, but they're, you know, style, hairstylists, wardrobe stylists, assistants. There's so many other positions that people can get within the entertainment industry, and every credit you see is a job. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? So people you, ain't lying. you know what I'm saying? And when you and when you're doing when you're doing what you're doing, for example, and you're doing it by yourself, you're doing the job of eight people. Right. Like those are eight different jobs you're doing to help your your podcast grow to the point of where you can now start hiring people once it, it's gotten enough money and things where you can take some of the pressure off yourself. But Every position that you see in the credits is a job. And kids have to understand that. People have to understand that because you can fit. Like, I know somebody in every area of a credit on TV that I can give a job that's not in the entertainment industry. Whether it's security, because I know some guys that are ex-policemen, and I can get them in there to do security. You know what I'm saying? There's just, oh, my man is a driver, and, and they need drivers on the movie set. You know what I'm saying? Like there are jobs that that cross, real life jobs cross reference into jobs in the entertainment industry. You know people without even realizing that you do know people that do a lot of the same things or similar things, and you yeah. can put them in position to excel in the entertainment industry. And right. and you know it's it's a different job when it's the entertainment industry as opposed to everyday job that you may doing because you have to survive in your family and things like that. Yeah, and and running Nick's company, Incredible Entertainment, just, it covered so much. It covered electronics. We had headphones. He still has headphones that were doing really well. You know, they were right behind Beats at one point. He was a step ahead. Beats right. was doing Beats, and he went and did a infomercial for Beats at, I believe it was, one of those stations where they sell infomercial videos. Oh, like the QVC oh. kind of thing. QVC actually, he yeah. did that, and then the guy from Monster who made the Beats headphone at the time said, "What do you think about getting your own headphones instead of you doing helping them make money, make your own money?" And right. Nick thought about it and it made sense, and he started doing his own headphones. And it's got to be almost ten years now. He's been selling headphones. Then we were in the uh, space of selling school supplies with Office Depot. We had backpacks and we had pens and little drives, six six terabytes and 32 terabyte drives that you can carry around. Like he had his hand in so many other things than just television and movies and music. It's an entertainment company. And a lot of pieces, he, he has to hire the right people to help delegate and help get things done in an efficient way because he can't be on top of everything all the time. That was kind of what, what my role was, get back to him with what was happening on stuff, let him know what hiccups may have happened and how it got taken care of, or just take care of it without him even knowing and just let him know that things are progressing. And right. that was the daily grind. That was a 24-7 job. I was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, I can never shut my phone off. I can put it on a certain ring, like Nick, Nick had a ring that would overtake my phone being on silent. I had to mm -hmm. do that. And then I traveled with him as his road manager. 
So wherever he went, I was there and had to take care of logistics for traveling and be the liaison between whatever company he's hiring him to make an appearance or it's a TV appearance or a music appearance or DJing or whatever he was doing because he did a plethora of things. I was that go-to guy in between on top of still helping him run his entertainment company and helping it grow. Wow. (laughs) Here's something I thought about because when we talk about how many functions there are, especially like those credits, right? The jobs. Right. Now, before I got into podcasting, I've done, you know, I've worked with tour promoters. I've booked Uh shows for artists. I've got my hands in a few things, right? But it made me think about, because this is a conversation I have with a lot of creatives. I had this with my guest, who's a freelance writer for CNN Travel and GQ and music, big time music producers and all other kinds of creatives. And one of the things that I talked to them about was the barriers being eliminated and people being able to do it. Everybody's a, a rapper. Everybody's a producer. Those who really understand, because one of the things, one of the things I always talk about is how, mainly in podcasting, it's like there's a lot. There's probably over a million shows now. Everybody right. and their mother has something to say. But right. what separates the good shows from the not so good shows are the people that understand how, because at the end of the day, it's a business, right? This is entertainment. And if you understand how it work, how entertainment works, you will be able to put out good content to an, I'm, and I maybe not be saying it correctly, but that's just how I've been looking at it because it's like, what I tell people is I come in and look at this from an entertainment perspective. I'm yeah. looking at how are we marketing this? How are we writing this? How are we doing this? How are we doing that? It's more than just getting on and talking. There's way more to a good product, entertainment product, than just coming out here trying to entertain people or do right. whatever, inform them, whatever you do. So that was just, that was something you may come to mind because I never, I never really thought of it like that, right? I, yes, I looked at the credits, but I never really looked at it like those are jobs. Right. Because yeah. you're right, they and, are. And people miss that. And, and then I, I, give, I give you another example, and I tell kids this too, and adults. People want to be stars. Uh, and I use this as an example. So Ice-T has been on what Law & Order for years. And if you look up his net worth, I believe Ice-T's net worth is $35 million. Wow. Which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now go look up the net worth of the guy that created Law & Order. His name is Dick Wolf. Right. You you won't know Dick Wolf if you've seen him walking down the street, but Dick Wolf's net worth is $250 million. Mm. So being on camera is good and notoriety and you make money, but if, you, if you're a creator, you, you make a lot more money and you go without being seen. You can walk around. You can mm-hmm. be wealthy, just walk around and people won't really know who you are unless they're really in the industry. So creating content is a much better position to me. It may not be for everybody than being on camera or being the star. I don't like the star. Like, I'm a team player. And if you ask your cousin John, John knows I'm a team player. I don't <laughs> care about scoring 40 points. I let other people do that. But I'm going to yeah. care about what we do defensively and making the right passes to help the team win. 
I, I play the background all the time. I don't care. Like being the one, I don't, I'm not one of the ones that want to be the one. That's not for everybody. Right. And I don't like that, but I, I like creating. That and, manager and I, that always want to be in a music video. <laughs> right. Exactly. If I can, if I can create it and right. make the money and hire, because remember, if I'm creating it, I'm hiring the person on, on camera. So I'm making right. more money than you are. <laughs> That's true. I'm giving you a job. That's true. Very true. So people got to understand that. Be, being the content creator, being the show creator, the writer, learn how to write, learn how to be the creator and yeah. own this. And you now you're giving people jobs. Yeah. And you have your amenity. You can walk around and people won't really know who you are. But unless you want to be famous, you got more money than whoever you hired. All right, now for the interview. I'm really looking forward to this. We've been having a great conversation thus far. And, and like, yo, like this is a really exciting episode. So I, I want to go ahead and jump into the interview, let the listeners learn more about you, things that you've okay. done, and some of the things that you got your hands in now. My first question to you is, what's been your journey thus far? Going from, you know, just kind of, Walk us a little bit from where you started and how you got here. So I got a bachelor's degree in communication, mass communication. I was studying, actually, I was studying computer programming because computers were the future, obviously, at, at that point when I was in college. And I had a sociology teacher who told me that I'm better doing something that I love than something for the money. And that day, I changed my major. Because I played on the college, my team in college, but I knew I wasn't going to make it to the NBA. Yeah, I, I could have went overseas, but I wasn't really big on that. Like, I didn't really care about basketball. I love basketball, but I didn't want to go to another country and play when I had a degree and I figured I could work in entertainment. So I did that. at the degree. Couldn't find a job getting out of college. I had to work in a department store that my aunt got me a job as a stock associate. Finally got in touch with somebody at HBO and they put me in their temp pool. They have their own in-house temp pool for when they need a temp. They just go within the people that they know. I get into that. I actually am answering phones one day for because everybody's at the Christmas party. I'm answering the main line. Then I get an opportunity to get a job in accounting and clerical files. Now, again, I don't that's not my major. That's not where I, you know, I took up classes in, but it's HBO. It's a way to be in HBO. You have to learn how to get in first and then finagle your way into what you really want to do. So my point was, all right, it's HBO. I'm going to get in however I get in and then work my way within once I'm inside. And in doing that, I met a couple of people and met this woman who worked in HBO Sports, who was a producer. Told her what I studied, what I want to do, whatever, whatever. She then, in turn, offered me a position, a paid internship, summer internship position. Now, I'm 23, and I have a staff position with stocks and benefits and clerical files. And then I got offered the in paid internship where I'm going to lose all my benefits and everything. But now I'm going to be doing what I, what I wanted to do, what I studied 
to do in college, which let's be honest, most people, what they study to do in college, they don't necessarily work in that field when they get out. They mm -hmm. work in a completely different field. And so I, I'm one of the lucky ones to be able to have that opportunity. So I left clerical files, left the benefits and everything to chase what I wanted to be a part of, which was production and worked at HBO Sports. It was my introduction of a paid internship and got me into the game. I was there for three, four years, kind of reached the ceiling where they weren't allowing me to progress anymore. So I left there and, and all the people at HBO were shocked that I was leaving. So I left, got an opportunity to write for a, a basketball movie that was on HBO. And this was early internet where they needed a writer to write about what the project was. It was on a movie called Rebound, which was the Earl Manigault story. Earl Manigault okay. was a streetball legend from New York City. And during all this time, I'm actually playing streetball in New York. So I know about Earl Manigault and, and I'm engulfed in the culture because I live it every day. So I became a writer from doing that and they loved it and it worked. Cool, that was the one job. And it was out, probably worked for a couple of weeks. Then in working on a project, which I'm the most proud of project that I've ever worked on at HBO was a project called Journey of the African-American Athlete, which was the significance and the, the input of Black athletes in sports over a hundred years. All sports, cycling, horse racing, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, track and field, the Olympics, all the trials and tribulations we had to go through to get an opportunity to compete in these sports with white athletes. And once we got in, we pretty much broke the doors down and the games have changed ever since that. So right. that show won what's called a Peabody Award, which is one of the highest awards you can win. Yeah. I mean, I did all the footage research. I did so much for that show. So that, that show meant a lot to me. Then I got an opportunity to work at, which was then at my, that point, my next favorite job was at the NBA. Now, I still play basketball. Like, NBA, that's what I wanted to do. Like, I can't get any better than that. I'm a producer right. at NBA Entertainment. Mm -hmm. So creating and editing in-house promos. So, like, if you went to a Charlotte Hornets game and they inside the arena, they were playing a promo for, for the team to introduce the team. I mm -hmm. cut a lot of those for different teams. I made those for different teams because back then the NBA did everything. They didn't have their own in-house teams to create those things. Okay. So did that for a couple of years, then started working at a company called classic sports which then became ESPN Classic, where they showed old sporting events, old basketball games, football games, baseball, old games, because people, it was nostalgic, and people loved watching old games, even though they knew what the turnouts were. Right, right. But they still loved going back and seeing those games and what it was and where it brought them back to where they were at the time it was happening, and they loved those games. Mm -hmm. So I was a producer there. After Classic Sports was purchased by ESPN, stayed there for a couple of years. And then ESPN, whose home office, main office, is in Bristol, Connecticut, which is nothing but farmland. I'm a city dude. And they said, you have 
people up there. And I was like, yeah, I'm resigning. I'm not going to Bristol, Connecticut. That's not for me. I've done enough in the space of producing to find another job. And just so happens that HBO Sports called me back to work on another documentary. So I came back as an associate producer, left as a production assistant, came back as an associate producer, produced on a documentary on the great Bill Russell, on his life. You doing all this, you get to meet so many of these your fans or people that were a part of his life that you know about, ex-basketball players, coaches, whatever. And I got to meet Bill Russell and things like that. So that got actually nominated for an Emmy, but we didn't win. But it was great to be nominated, like to be at the sports Emmys and be nominated. Yeah. So then that left there, started working at a company that was ahead of its time called HoopsTV.com. HoopsTV.com was the first internet site for basketball. But this is when people had dial-up. You know what I'm saying? This was yeah. like in, in the 90s. Couldn't stream so well. They didn't have smartphones yet either. Again, I'm telling my age, which is fine with me, I don't care. <laughs> on this website, I was the production coordinator for the streetball section of the website. So I was responsible for everything streetball, all the streetball videos that we got in and the stories that we told. I was responsible for those stories being accurate, being told, being edited. I was the final say. Like you see them all the time now on your phone, you go to overtime or bleacher report you see right. high school we were doing that way before this hoops tv was doing that way before this but it was strictly basketball high school college pro women europe summer basketball everything that was like my best job that i had ever had because i was still playing basketball at the same time people don't understand here in new york being a street basketball player at, at the level that I, I was playing on, it was like being a professional. Certain leagues you got paid to play in, cash money, $500 to play in one game. You're going to give me $500 to play in a basketball game? That's great. I love that. On yeah. top of my job, it was just a win-win situation for me. So after Hoops TV folded, I got another opportunity to go back to HBO for my third term to work on another documentary. It was a boxing documentary on different fights that happened during different times. Ended up winning an Emmy for that. So now I got a sports Emmy under my belt for producing a documentary. After that gig, it kind of started slowing up here in New York. And I kind of felt I had reached the ceiling in New York altogether. It was time for me to possibly go to L.A. I uh, had been back and forth to L.A. for different gigs with other companies I had worked for, had a group of friends, and figured, all right, let me go out there and give it a try. It can't hurt. Gave it a try. ESPN, a friend of mine who was like a senior vice president at ESPN at the time, they had created a show called ESPN Hollywood, which was the entertainment tonight for athletes. You got to see what they did off the playing field. You know, whether they were doing music or they were doing charity work or they were on vacation. You got to see them and know them as a regular person. And the athletes loved it, especially the football players, because you only know about 20 football players. All the rest have helmets on. You don't know what they look like. Right. Or see them as regular people. So they loved this show. 
But my guy, who was the senior VP, his guy, who was the president, left. And whenever he left a job, he took him with him. So when they left, the new brass came in and canceled anything that they had. So that show got canceled. But while doing that show is when I met Nick Cannon. He had a, a movie that had a basketball theme in it. And we would pair celebrities with athletes that had films that was similar to what that athlete did. So I did the interview with him. This was like during his first season of Wild and Out. He invited me to come watch Wild and Out and I came and saw the show and liked the show, whatever the case may be. My show gets canceled. I go hang out with him and my boy who's managing his Nick's music career on our radio interviews he's doing. And Nick tells my boy, asked me if I would become his road manager. And I'm like, yo, I don't even know what that is. You know, I don't know music. Like, I'm a television producer. I don't know what a road yeah. manager is. And he's like, yo, it's just travel with him, make sure he's all right, whatever, whatever. I was like, oh, well, it's better than unemployment. Let me try it. Go out on the road with Nick. It's me, him, and his trainer on the road, on the bus, going from city to city, doing radio promotions for a single he had at the time called Dime Piece. That was under, under Motown, I believe. In doing so, we got to know each other better, and I got to realize that he was a smart dude. He knew he was smarter than people really knew. Like on the outside, everybody thought he was corny, me included. But when I got to know him, I was like, yo, this dude is not corny. He's actually very smart. He knows the history of music. He's created this show Wild and Out on his own. He put up his own money to do this. Like he's a smart dude. I like working with him. So when the tour was over, he told me, look, I want you to be my right hand guy. We'll produce shows together because I'm always coming up with concepts and shows and we can do that together as well as you being my road manager. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. So then created a show on MTV called Son of a Gun, which was a reality show about rapper Corey Guns, who's now signed to Young Money. He was like the hottest underground rapper in New York City at the time. His pops is Peter Guns who everybody knows from Love and Hip Hop. So we do this reality show, drama series. Nick and I, I'm an executive producer on that. It's my first executive producer to role. We do that. We get one season. People wanted a second season. M MTV didn't feel like the numbers were right. They screwed it up anyway because they didn't go in the direction we wanted to go. And then that died, and we didn't get a second season. But I'm still working with Nick, and we... Now we're producing for Nickelodeon. We're producing a, a music video countdown show that he created. Now I'm co-executive producer on that, as well as him doing everything that he's doing. America's Got Talent. He was doing so much. It was ridiculous. You know, he got married, but then he creates his company. And then he wants me to, to be an executive there. And, you know, all these things are happening. Like, it's just happening overnight, it seems like. So producing... Then Wild and Out goes away for a couple of years and it comes back. And now MTV wants me on as a producer because I deal with the cast and talent very well. They, they kind of respect me and we have a rapport. So MTV realizes that and decides we want you as a producer to deal with the cast and the talent because you can get them to do things and get things done. And I'll be one less thing for us to have to deal with. So I become a producer on Wild and Out. Help comedians with their jokes, they run jokes by me. 
especially when we shot in New York, they wanted to do New York jokes. They would run jokes by me to see if they made sense or, you know, you don't want to be booed. <laughs> like, you don't right. want to be corny. Like, sometimes you, you want to be corny. Like, the king of corny on Wild and Out is Emmanuel Hudson, but he uh-huh. runs with it. Like, he's okay with that. That's his, that's his lane, and he loves it, and people love him for that. So I was heavily involved with Wild and Out, and then after season 12, we kind of went our separate ways because I wanted to get back more into producing. Now I've, I'm in the process of two different shows, a, a drama, reality show, docu-series, I would say. I'm in the process of possibly selling, and then I have a, a, unscri- a scripted drama that we're getting writers aboard to, to kind of write some episodes. So, you know, I'm, I'm in that space of now, I'm doing my dick wolf now, creating my content. That's a really interesting journey, too, to, to see. That's always the fun part, right? Get in to talk to people, see where they started, and see how, because it's like my mentor, Yolanda Latham, you know, t- telling me how she started as a receptionist, and now she's VP and partner. So, you know, just kind of hearing that, like, again, hearing, you know, you studied mass comic in college and changing your major, you know, you go and do this, you go all these different companies. And it's just always just it's almost like what we think about as far as like the map of success. Right. And how people have this, they, they envision it as a straight line, but really it's just like a graph. It's like a, a regular graph up and down, left and right. And you go in all these different places and you don't know where it takes you, but eventually it leads you where you want to be. And yeah. that's what all of this has done for you. So I, I guess yeah. what is, what's the big picture look like for you? I guess you're staying on the, on a, on a producer path. And cause I know you say you're getting your dick wolf on now, <laughs> you yeah. know, being a content creator. So I'm, I'm guessing that's where your focus is going to be for the remainder. Yeah, for the remainder of my career, I think I, I definitely I'm going to stay in the, the content creator space because, I mean, obviously everybody thinks they have the winning idea, the winning TV show that they think can push things over the top and it's the new one. And, you know, just, I'm, and I'm one of those people too, but because I've been in this business for over 25 years, I also have the relationships to make those, those dreams possible. Like, the five people that that believe in it as well that are in those type of positions that want to partner with me to make that happen right and and that's what i'm doing with these first two projects i'm partnered with a company called uh endeavor which is a a huge media company they started as a as a agency for talent where they were uh agents and but now they've expanded to doing productions my guy who hired me at espn classic and he hired me at Hoops TV is now at Endeavor as in a senior VP and he's now partnered with me with Endeavor. Not Endeavor represents me. We're partners in these projects. So once one project happens, it's going to open the floodgates and I got a whole lot ready to, to put out there. I'm excited for you and I cannot wait to see what comes of all of this. I know John, probably let me know. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout for it as well. Again, it's exciting, and you know, to, to, to hear your story and to you know see how far you've come, and you know, to hear about some of the things you got in the works. You got a lot to look forward to, obviously. So, and 
just off the little bit I know is is well deserved. You know, it's, it's your time. Do what you do, right? So I appreciate <laughs> that. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make make it happen, man. Make it happen. So re- really quick, you know, just want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show. I really appreciate it, and it's really been a pleasure talking to you. You, <laughs> I enjoy all of my guests, but I really enjoy. <laughs> this interview right here so it, it, it's really yeah really great really insightful a lot of takeaways like i already know but tell the listeners like yo y'all gotta listen to this one because <laughs> a lot of gems right here a lot of gems so you know, thank you again for coming on the same show appreciate it and anytime man it doesn't you know whether you get in contact with me direct or get in touch with john if i'm available oh. i'll always be available to do it anytime I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. Me means a lot coming from someone like yourself. Really quick, listeners, you know, definitely take notes. Again, he shot a lot of gems. Be sure to continue liking and subscribing and sharing the same show. You know, really appreciate you guys for listening. Again, go check us out on social media. And you're listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out. Peace. Peace.